Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin. We'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Altoona. And uh, the Green Bay Packers had their bye week, obviously, and so we got a chance to see some of the other teams. And while the Packers had no opportunity to improve their standing in the NFC, perhaps you believe that they did so by viewing some of their top competitors a little bit more closely. And uh, we'll delve into that, and uh, we'll also... um, Uh, delve into uh, some of the other things. It's going to be a real short show today, but we just wanted to touch upon a couple of things here at the bye week. And for starters, Matt, um, I think we talk about this every year, but I always like to get uh, your impression of this in case it's evolved over the years. But um, I still can't decide if I really like the bye week or if I don't like it at all. I used to like it a lot, and then I didn't like it at all. And now I'm like somewhere in between where it doesn't quite have the luster of a Packers Sunday, and I don't know, maybe if me not getting so stressed out about the Packers games than I did maybe 10 years ago that um, I kind of like the, 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 the stress of the Packers playing, and I, I like seeing the other teams closely, don't get me wrong, but I was a little bored yesterday too. Yeah, I agree. I was looking forward to it, and I, I think I was a little disappointed. I, I think, like you said, you just kind of want that nice laid-back Sunday. You can just watch all the other games and enjoy them, but there's definitely something to be said about having something to really look forward to. And like you said, like I used to die of anxiety like five years ago before of a, before a Packer game, and you kind of get some perspective as you get a little bit older. So it's it's nice to just have that excitement, I guess. I'll take a, I'll take a game day Sunday over a bye week any day. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was the thing. It was just the fear of losing or whatever, and gosh, there can't be a loss on the horizon that's any worse than some of the losses we've had in recent years, so maybe that's part of it, too. Yeah. It's like, bring it on. Yeah, we're going to lose at the Vikings 17-14. Big deal. Let's let's go again. Let's try again. Right. Um, the thing yesterday is they had that first of the London 8.30 time slots, and they've been doing this for a number of years now, and I think I can definitively say that that's just horrible like I like the idea of it where you can have a wall-to-wall Sunday but by about the second half of that Dallas game I was just ready to not be watching football anymore yeah I agree I was it's kind of exciting to wake up and watch that in the morning but then it luckily it was a blowout but I watched like two minutes total of that Chiefs Steelers game last night it's instead of watching that game I watched the early game so it's you can only handle so much and nine hours of football is already a ton so yeah I, I, I can't do the full day Agreed. I didn't watch hardly any of that last game, and uh, I don't know. It's uh, We'll talk about that a little late, later on, because one of the biggest stories of the early season that doesn't involve the Packers is the ratings for the NFL, and so I wanted to talk about that a little bit, but um, I alluded to it in the intro about perhaps the Packers increasing their standing by not even playing, but yesterday was as good of an illustration as any that the early part of the season really doesn't make any sense whatsoever, and it's fun to talk about and speculate, and obviously we have a podcast and there's so much um, out there for you to read and consume about the NFL that's fun to speculate early in the season because these games do count, but in a lot of ways they don't because we've seen some of the goofiest things ever happen, and I feel a little bit better about the Packers compared to some of their NFC competitors. Um particularly Carolina and Arizona, but then also I'm fighting the urge to declare them dead considering that the Packers looked that awful in 2014 and ended up a fluke away from the Super Bowl. Right. I mean, they look really bad, though, and they, like, they have a lot of holes, too. And you kind of feel smart. I know we were both 
scared, even though they're the popular pick to go back to the Super Bowl in Carolina. I mean, you lose your only good DB, really, and now you have just nothing back there, and they're just getting gashed by everybody through the air. Mm-hmm. And and as much as they're trying to keep up, and they're doing a pretty darn good job, they've allowed, what, 45 points in two straight games and yeah. gave up one of the best receiving games in NFL history. And um, on top of that, Arizona, their offense, despite all the weapons around Carson Palmer, just can't do anything either. Mm-hmm. Kind of more offensive line and quarterback problems. So I'm still scared to death of Seattle, but I'm feeling a little better about those teams. Yeah, Seattle, I I feel less afraid of, but I just think maybe the Jets are on a odd year, or an even year now, so they're going to be terrible. Like yeah. it, it just seems like that team outside of those back-to-back Rex Ryan AFC Championship bursts always alternate from being like 11 wins to 11 losses. That seems to be how they've been since Bill Parcells left. Um, so, yeah, I think Seattle is still scary, but... Man, Arizona, I was skeptical of before the season. And yeah, you called it. You were, you were on with that just from how bad they looked in the preseason. Apparently, it does matter. Well, and not only the preseason, but after the the Packers lost to Seattle in the regular season, from that moment on, Carson Palmer has been terrible, including the playoffs. He was awful the last Sunday of the season against Seattle. He played pretty poorly against the Packers outside of some clutch play in the fourth quarter in overtime, and he was abysmal in the NFC Championship game, and so I just felt like he's old, and he's not going to get better, and again, admittedly early, but so far this year, it doesn't look like he's any better. He looks really old, and Carolina can't protect Cam Newton, which is scary, but I think between the two of them, I have more confidence in Carolina turning it around than Arizona. Right, right, and just while you're on that, that was one of the weirdest concussion injuries I've ever seen yesterday with that Cam Newton uh, yeah. point conversion. Did you see that? And I, I didn't hear anybody really describe it. I saw it. It looked like he was kind of showboating into the end zone. Mm-hmm. I, would you say that? I, otherwise, maybe he's something where he was going to make a move or something, but he could like completely slowed up and then just got decked. I guess I haven't seen it that closely to determine whether he was showboating or not. But yeah, it 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 looked weird. Um, I guess I wouldn't put it past them. That seems to be the thing this year in both the NFL and college especially where guys just seem to want to mosey across the line and they're either dropping the ball Desha- or, um, Deshaun Jackson style before the goal line or as we saw with Tennessee on Saturday just coasting in and then getting lit up by the safety and fumbling which was probably the best thing I've ever seen ever. Yeah, I think I think he for sure was, but it was close enough that he something else may have been going on but he completely like slowed up and it looked like he was clear across the goal line are about to be and then somebody came out of nowhere and just jacked him right in the head yeah and that's disconcerting obviously because it seems to be that he's got a bit of a target on him and I know he's a big strong guy and supposedly the rules are different once you have um once you're no longer in the pocket and you forfeit your protections as a quarterback but you can't headhunt Adrian Peterson or a running back either and so um, I don't tend to believe in those NFL officiating conspiracy theories or anything like that, but um, I, I wonder if they're almost just giving him the reactionary benefit of the doubt because he's such a monstrous, strong guy, but uh, it's been rough to watch him take a beating so far this year. Yeah, I agree, and um, you never, I more than ever, I think, when I see these concussions, I look away now like like I used to with ACL injuries. It's just, it just makes you nauseous. Mm-hmm. But, I, I mean, some of this, too, I mean, him getting decked, people don't just, like, you know, they don't target Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's brought this on himself in a lot of ways, too. Yeah. I mean, with the way he acts out there and taunting in people's faces. He got another taunting penalty yesterday, nearly got 
you know, if you get another one, was kicked out of the game right away. It was, like, right in the first quarter. I mean, flipping balls at guys and dancing in their faces in the end zone and, like, this just strutting across the goal line on a two-point conversion. Yeah. I mean, you talk about baseball's unwritten rules, but if you're a defensive player and you see this stuff and you see it in game film all week long, I'm going to be one of those guys that's not targeting his head but trying to hit him as hard as you can every single opportunity you get. Yeah, I think... I think what you said, there's a definitely a, a point to that. I hate those unwritten rules as much as I hate the baseball unwritten rules because I just think it's ridiculous. But you're, you might have a point there because certainly there are ample opportunities to give Aaron Rodgers a concussion or Drew Brees a concussion or Tom Brady and nobody's doing it. Um, even though they're still in the wrong if that's what their intent is to try to whack a guy helmet to helmet because a it's against the rules b it's really bad for your own personal health and also right. it's not you know that's not what you're supposed to be doing out there but i definitely could see that and it's not like um every single guy in the nfl is this most uh, squeaky clean sportsman of sportsmen mm-hmm. um so yeah, that was a really interesting game. I was so relieved that Julio Jones didn't get the record because I know I didn't see it live, but just ever since I was a kid, one of my favorite records was that 336 receiving yards for Flipper Anderson, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I think it's fun that he still has that. Yeah, that's people are getting close. Calvin Johnson gets close, and it's like, how do you get that many yards? I mean, it's it almost seems unthinkable to hit. I mean, Julio had like three deep bombs yesterday and still didn't get it yeah it, it's, i'm sure it's gonna be broken eventually here in the near future but it's cool that something from the what that was 80s right 1989 late 70s 89 okay. oh 89 so something like that has stuck around all these years even with the insane numbers people are putting up now it's just like the flukiest of fluke of things basically for that to happen in one game yeah and i was trying to look up i feel like yeah antonio brown last year had 284 He's had a bunch of other games over 180, and I know Julio Jones, he had to have... I think they just put the infinity symbol up when he was at Lambeau Field a couple years ago. Um, So I think one of those two has to get it sooner or later, and if not them, maybe Odell Beckham or someone. I I need to watch closer when those teams are playing that how they can just continually feed one guy for that many yards and that many catches. It just doesn't seem possible when you watch our offense. Right, that's what I'm saying. It, it's almost like it's unthinkable to hit that many deep balls. And yesterday, it just seemed like Carolina was too stubborn to put, uh, you know, more than one guy on them. They just tried to man him up all day, and it was obviously not a match at all. Yeah, and just kind of keep doing that throughout the game. It's just really poor coaching, really poor DBs. A, a big game. It's just like everything has to happen right, and it's still. Um, just a weird recipe for something like that to happen. Well, and it makes some sense with Julio Jones because he's this enormous guy who can run as fast as anybody in the NFL. But I, Antonio Brown is the one who confuses me because he, he's such a great route runner and he's incredibly quick. But the dude is the same height as Randall Cobb and like 10 pounds lighter. So yeah. I don't get like he's a great, great player. And I know not your size is not what makes it all, but it's not like he's Megatron where you can throw him a Hail Mary and he'll out-jump the best defensive backs in the history of the league. He's got to create that space, and maybe he just is the best route runner and the quickest guy to ever play wide receiver. It's certainly possible, but it just doesn't seem, it doesn't lend itself to reason like those big, huge guys doing it. Well, I think that's part of the reason why he didn't get the, his just due for like three or four years of an insane numbers being put up because you have your Calvin Johnson, your Julio Jones, your Des Bryant, who's bigger as well. Mm-hmm. These guys that are just physically imposing, so you can just see how they're doing it, but he just 
always open, always beating guys, and it's just incredible to see. I mean, we got to see a lot of, like, more the tail end of Jerry Rice's career, but it must have been fairly similar. You've seen a lot of his old games. I mean, he wasn't the tallest, wasn't the fastest either, but, I mean, would just put up incredible numbers, too. I, I That would be the only guy I could even think to compare him to. Yeah, I would say... Man, it, Jerry Rice has been put on that Michael Jordan pedestal where he almost feels I know, it's silly. It's almost like it's blasphemy to even say compare him to anybody. Yeah, but when he retired, I think he had twenty two thousand receiving yards, and the next closest was fourteen thousand. So it yeah. it really is kind of that. And and still, my favorite statistic is Randy Moss has the single season touchdown uh, reception record when he caught his twenty third touchdown pass in the fourth quarter of the sixteenth game, and Jerry Rice had twenty two touchdown catches in twelve games during the strike season in nineteen eighty seven. I mean that's just nuts. And I would say your description is pretty close because Jerry Rice could out jump people, and I'm sure Antonio Brown can too. I think Rice was a little taller, maybe six one or so, but he just he could create space on anyone and. Uh, one of my favorite games of his that I've seen, and I won't go on forever about Jerry Rice, but he uh, was against the Bears in the 1988 NFC title game. And one, he just catches a ball that's about his, at his knees and outruns everybody. And then there's another one where Montana kind of is leading him into a safety, and he jumps up and grabs it above his head, lands, almost stops immediately, and lets the safety run by and collide with the corner, and then turns on the Jets and outruns everybody else. I mean, that's pretty much Jerry Rice in a nutshell, and Antonio Brown has a lot of those skills. Okay, so the big thing going on this year, besides some of the weird teams that we'll get into later, is the TV ratings are way down. Um, uh, Across the board, it's around 12%. Monday Night Football last week had the lowest rating in the history of Monday Night Football. Granted, that was up against the highest rated presidential debate in the history of television. But it still seems strange that it would be that low, and you've seen anything from people saying the election is causing issues, that people are really that upset about the Colin Kaepernick-led uh, protests, that people are unhappy about concussions, and even people apparently thinking that uh, another 10 million people have decided to watch games exclusively on their phones, which I don't think I agree with that one, but... Um, Matt, do you think this is anything for the NFL to be concerned about, or is it maybe just uh, something that will correct itself? Well, I think it definitely is. Um, I haven't looked into the numbers probably as much as you have, but I have heard this a little bit. Do you know if they count red zone into viewership for those, or it's just specific games? I actually looked that up, and the, the most recent thing I could find was last year. I don't think they count red zone, but surprisingly, the number of subscribers to red zone is much lower than I thought. Um, they think they don't release the numbers because the NFL is proprietary, so they don't have to do it. But most TV analysts say that four million is how many people actually subscribe to red zone, which is a blip on the radar compared to what who's watching CBS and Fox. Sure, but I I. I think like just one of those things, the concussions, I and mean, we didn't see a drop in viewership last year, um, just things here and there, but it just feels like there's been so much with the domestic abuse stuff, the concussion stuff, the Kaepernick stuff, the Tom Brady stuff. Yeah. There's just so much out of the, the realm of what's actually you know, uh, happening on the field. I think it can get a little much for people, and I know personally one friend who was a big football fan and told me he was going to stop watching, and I thought he was crazy, and he hasn't watched a game in two years. <laughs> oh, my. And I, I think that's the rare end of things but I think people you can watch it on your phone people can go out and do stuff and I think a big chunk of people are only interested in for fantasy at this point anyways Mm -hmm. and with so much access on your phone and being able to track their every move 
um, in all the points as they happen. I think that probably has a lot to do with it too. But I, w- I would think at least a piece of it has got to be people who are just a little bit fed up. Yeah, I, I think that's a whole. I think what you said is right. It's hard to disagree with any of that. Um, I tend to think that the controversial stuff maybe isn't too much. I know it's such a politically charged era right now, so everybody's taking a stand on everything. But um, I think. That seems to be a bit exaggerated if that many people were upset to not watch because of Colin Kaepernick and all yeah, that I stuff. Um, the concussions have been around for a while, and maybe that's just eroding on people that they're finally getting fed up. But the fantasy thing is an absolute great point. One that um, I thought of after reading some different takes is there might be more collateral damage to this playing um, cities between one another for teams for so many years that basically you've alienated St. Louis and perhaps a lot of the Midwest who cheered for a St. Louis team or um, you got Minnesota who would have had a lot of those fans who bamboozled their community out of a palace to play sports in. You have them basically um, trying to get San Diego to pay for a brand new stadium when they're just building another one two hours north. The same thing's going with Oakland, and I think there might be a lot of fans that don't have strong regional ties to their teams and maybe just are watching for fantasy or whatever that are like, you know what, these people just really don't care about us at all, and they think they can just you know, take our money through tax dollars and things and that we're just going to pony it up. And I think community, you're always going to find a community to pony it up. But if you alienate four communities to get the one that's going to buy it, at some point you would think you'd hit a breaking point from a national interest level. Yeah, that's a good point too. And I, you kind of would think that the LA viewership in such a big market probably, I would wonder if it has even changed too much now that they have the Rams there. That I don't I know. Mean, you, you would think that that is like a community that, you know, they kind of are going to watch football or they're not going to watch football. It's not like the Rams are the biggest show in town. Yeah. But where like a city like St. Louis, who is dedicated to their team, you know, you, if I'm a Rams fan from last year from St. Louis, I might not be watching it all this year. And that's a pretty darn big market to lose. Well, and it doesn't help that the team stinks. Yeah. But I mean, they're three and one, but they're like the worst three and one in history. I have a feeling. Maybe the Ravens have uh, uh, also the worst three and one I've ever seen. But it was interesting you brought it up. So they went from the greatest show on turf to not even the biggest show in town. Maybe that's their problem. They they yeah. got the wrong slogan. Okay, so one of the other things I I really wanted to talk about. We haven't talked a lot about NFL history recently, and again, it's an election season, and I won't go into all that because then people will say we're protesting too much, and then nobody will listen to the podcast if you believe the the Kaepernick criticism. <laughs> but five thirty eight is a website, and it's spelled out five thirty eight dot com is a site that's really good, interesting if you like to follow the horse race of the political election and it averages polls and it tries to predict things and it's been pretty successful predicting political races over the years and in 2014 despite me visiting this site quite often i didn't realize that in 2014 they started um tracking nfl games and they have been using a stat that's called elo and i tried to look up what it means and i wasn't able to find it but basically what it is is Um, It's a way to take results of prior games over time, since the beginning of each franchise, and attempt to use it to 
analyze final scores and analyze them in succession to try to predict who's going to win the games. And I don't know how it's gone as far as predicting games this year, but what's cool is that it essentially gives you a stock market-like look at each team's history and shows you the peaks and valleys, and it's really momentum-based. And so it's cool in that regard is much like a stock. When the stock finally crashes, you can go back in history and see, well, we thought it was fine yesterday, but in truth, we've actually been slipping since last March or whatever. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so I thought it was fun to look up all of the different peaks for the histories of NFL teams. And the highest peak for any NFL team in history was reached on March 20th, 2008, when the New England Patriots went 18-0. and If you go the cumulative of how many championships they had won prior to that and how good they had been, they reached the most valuable equity in the history of a single NFL team. And I thought it would be fun to look at the Packers. And do you have a guess for what the highest from a, I guess from a perception standpoint, from a greatness standpoint, um, what the peak of the Packers history is according to this? Man, that could be, that's tough. Yeah. Um, I would say, I mean, I would think it would have to be either the late 60s or even earlier than that. And I thought that too, and it actually isn't. And I think part of the reason with the 60s is because you had fewer teams and you had teams like the Colts uh, around that time that were close to the level the Packers were. So they kind of inverted one another for like the top spot or whatever. It seems somewhat relative. So if everybody just goes to that website and looks it up, it'll be much more fun to listen to. But this one was kind of controversial, and that's why I wanted to bring it up. They say that the peak of the Green Bay Packers franchise was January of 1998 after they defeated the 49ers to win the NFC Championship right prior to Super Bowl 32. Mm, okay. And at first, I was kind of hesitant to have that be the moment, but then... When you think about it, even again, uh, not taking into account statistics, if you think about it from a perception standpoint, that probably is the peak of the Packers in our lifetime, when they were undisputed the best team in the NFL. And I think maybe even outside of the Bulls, probably the best team undisputed in professional sports at that time, they had been so good for prior years they had a dominating championship win they had replicated it the year before they had destroyed the second best team in the NFL we all thought and then according to this if you're following each team like a stock portfolio the Packers had been the number one team in the NFL from week two in 1996 and even losing Super Bowl 32 would not fall to below number one until they were blown out by the Vikings on Monday Night Football after starting 4-0 in 1998. And at first I thought that was kind of eye-opening, but then if you think about even that 1998 game, that felt like, to me, that was like the death of the Brett Favre Holmgren Packers as the number one elite team in the league, and they never really got back to that point. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that Packer team after beating San Francisco at all, basically all through 97, but that's the apex, I guess they're saying, is yeah. it felt like they were almost untouchable. Like, they were by far the best team. And you started to hear that in 96, even before they won the Super Bowl, even before the season, all of a sudden they're Super Bowl favorites. So then you, you go through a whole great season, you win the Super Bowl, you go through another great season, and you're right there again. I mean, we were the obvious choice to win it if it mm-hmm. weren't for a huge upset. So I... I, I can't speak as much to like the old timey Packers, but 
in terms of what we've seen, that's definitely what I would agree with that, yeah. Well, and one of the things they used to describe exactly what this metric meant is that um, it basically takes the results and compounds them over time, but also weighs them against what the expected result was. So essentially, this is saying that at that moment... At no time in the history of the Packers has had the Packers had a higher profile that they basically were the Patriots at that time that nobody expected them to lose no matter who they played against, and so that's kind of. But it was interesting that I, I, it made me look at some other teams and what their apexes were, and some of them started to make a lot of sense. For instance, um, the Dallas Cowboys their apex was after beating Buffalo in the second Super Bowl because they had been so dominant up to it, and then they started kind of showing chinks in their armor after that point. If that makes sense, the yep. a- apex of the 49ers is the 55-10 blowout of the Denver Broncos, which makes perfect sense. Montana's last Super Bowl, um, but then there are some really funny and weird ones, and it makes you just think of how pathetic some of these franchises have been. The Cardinals' apex in the history of the franchise was their 38 to 8 win over the Packers last year. <laughs> And obviously that's a bias being so close to it. It might not be that way 10 years from now, but that's nuts that that's the apex of their franchise. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. Um, the other funny one was the Bengals 8-0 start last year was the apex of their franchise just eking out over their AFC title win in 1982 because I'm guessing that in 82 it came out of nowhere. They were basically a yeah. trash team the year before. Right, yeah, and where the last year people thought they were really good, which even going into the Super Bowl, I don't know if people were too convinced of that. No, and, I, yeah, I don't think so, and, and they really didn't sustain it, so I thought that one was right. This, the 85 Bears are not the apex of the Bears, but it was close. Um, their apex was 1942. Um, Makes sense. It does, and they had actually, at that time, it was right as they had closed the regular season in 1942, they had qualified for their third straight NFL championship uh, game. They're trying to win their third straight title. They were 11 and 0. They had won 32 of the previous 36 games, and then ended up losing to the Redskins and really kind of coming back to the pack a little bit. Um, there was one other one. Oh, the 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 other one that was um, weird was the Jacksonville Jaguars, and it I appreciated it for its symmetry. So the peak of the Jaguars is their week 15 win in 1999 when they went to 13 and 1 in that year when they went to the AFC title game as a 14 and 2 team. Prior to that game they had won 44 of their previous 67 games. From that moment on they would lose 42 of their next 66 games. It's so weird that they're the best. It's like a perfect slope, basically. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I just thought that was um, really interesting. And so maybe I'll just post this as a graph for all the other uh, nerds like me who want to see that. Um, you could also laugh at the Lions that essentially they've been terrible since the 50s. And there's a bunch of other uh, little fun things in there. So um, real quick, so the other – in this descending order, and maybe we can comment on that real quick um, – after the NFC title in 1997, the next five highest peak values of the Packers were their 13 and 0 start in 2011 is next. That ekes out Super Bowl 31, 
which is a little higher than Super Bowl one, which is slightly higher than the 1962 championship when they won back to back, going 13 and one. Okay. I I don't know. Did I? Do you think so, that 13 and 0 start? At first, I thought it was a little bit ridiculous, but then thinking at that point they were the defending Super Bowl champions and had won 19 straight games. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's kind of the same thing that makes it be the just before Super Bowl 32 rather than the Super Bowl 31 because you've already proven it and then you're showing you're just a monster of an elite team with 13 wins already at that point. So, yeah, I guess that makes sense. I, I would think that maybe if you're using that logic, Super Bowl 2 might be, um, that win might be there. But at that point, I don't know if they take into consideration you knew like, everybody was leaving and mm-hmm. it was kind of falling apart. The Super Bowl 2 one, from what I could, again, it's a hard metric to understand if you didn't create it, but from what I was looking at is the reason they were punished in Super Bowl 2 is they had a 9-4-1 and one record, and there were th- like three or four other teams in the NFL that year that had a better record than them, sure. and, and the Raiders in the AFL were 13-1, and one, and so they weren't even the best team, and so it was seen that Super Bowl 2 was kind of a fluke win. Whereas in like '97 and 2011, we were winning the Super Bowl. Like nobody was even like questioning it. You're that good of a team at yeah. that point, so that makes sense. Exactly. Okay, so I'll post that. I'll I'll make a, a uh, like a picture file that you can click on and look at on there. So, um, real quick, we're gonna wrap up here. Um, couple things. Saturday was a big college football day. Um, the coolest thing of Saturday is that Clemson has like a Goldberg esque entrance when they play on national TV, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that's always fun. It's it's awesome in big games. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, so we should talk about the Badgers. Um, they lost a tough game, 17-14 to at Michigan. They didn't fall very far in the polls. Uh, apparently, both the coaches and press still have a lot of respect for that Badger defense. And Michigan had been scoring 45 points a game, and the Badgers held them to 14. I've seen a mix on this, and I think nationally, and, and I have a, a friend at work who's a big Michigan fan, and he was very impressed with the Badgers' defense. And um, so that was the, his biggest takeaway. A lot of Badger fans seem to be killing uh, Paul Chris for not getting Bart Houston into the game in the second half, and I guess I wanted your thoughts on that. Nah, I, I guess <laughs> I didn't even have that thought. I'd, I'd much rather just ride it out with, with, uh, with Hornibrook, I guess, at this point. You saw Houston. I mean, he got benched for a reason. He was basically all the negatives that Hornibrook showed, but without the big positives and the big plays. Um, I don't know. It was a frustrating game to watch a young quarterback, but a freshman's going to have those type of games. I don't think pulling him is the right choice. But yeah, I agree. I think our de- I think we could beat anybody because your defense is that good, and they were even missing it. You know, a couple of key pieces too. Mm-hmm. So I, I really like this team. I like watching them play. It was frustrating to watch them offensively a little bit, and I think Corey Clement was maybe a little overrated coming into the year. Yeah, but. Uh, you know, overall, they're they're a lot of fun to watch. I, I had a blast watching a fourteen seven loss. Even <laughs> they're just they're a good team to watch and they're fun to root for. Yeah, I definitely echo all of that. And yeah, Bart Houston probably should have thrown six interceptions against LSU, and um, they really won in spite of him. If if he had done nothing, they they probably would have won like fourteen to zero or something. Yeah. Maybe that's not giving him enough credit, but certainly he he's the reason they scored fourteen points in a lot of ways. Um, and I think with Hornibrook. The, the the argument people were saying is I think people's eyes started to get a little big when we started 4-0 and and then um, the defense is so good and so people want to win at all costs no, ma- no matter what. And I think at this point, you're still a long, long shot to make the playoff. And even so now, if you win out, you got a real good shot at making the playoff because you probably have to beat Michigan again so you get to atone for your one loss. 
And to me, if you have this guy who you say is going to be your quarterback of the future, he's potentially going to play the next three years for you, you can't pull him out of a one-score game on the road against the number four team in the country. That could really strain your relationship and really hurt his confidence. Yeah, I agree. I I didn't even think twice about it. I think they handled it correctly. And the biggest thing that I was happy about today reading about the Badgers is that Jazz Peavy is a junior because I really like watching that guy nice. play. Yeah. Um, even though he had kind of Devontae-esque target-to-catch numbers on, on Saturday, but he he's one of the more explosive guys they've had in a while. Yeah, the thing I was most excited about is he didn't seem to um, – he, he still seemed to be able to get open, which a lot of people were skeptical of playing against an elite defense. So Yeah, true. We'll see. And the best part was Jim Harbaugh yelling, you effers at the referees when they kept calling him for uh, using illegal formations. Yeah, that was weird. How they just like they couldn't seem to get lined up, and then they tried that really weird formation that just ended up being a regular goal line set where they all lined up like eleven in a row. Yeah, there was so much stuff about that on ESPN and Twitter, and people were like, "Oh, look at this formation." I'm like, "Who cares?" It like they just broke and ran a regular play after that. Right. Like, yeah, stupid. Yeah, just what? a waste of time. I don't know what you're. <laughs> I I get trying to throw people off the scent, but it's it's just like coming out of a huddle. Like nobody knows where you're going to line up. It's completely pointless. It's just. Bells and whistles, just something to get people to talk about you. If you're going to do that, pull a Chuck Pagano and snap the ball. Then I'd be impressed. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're not going to make our picks. Uh, maybe we'll throw those up on the website or whatever. Both of us stink at picking so far this year anyways, but um, I think we're probably not alone in that. So the Packers will take on the New York Giants on Sunday. I have two questions for you, Matt. Do you expect the Packers to win? And I guess... Sub-question is how, how you think that's going to go about, and do you think this game will fare better up against a presidential debate than Saints-Falcons did? Oh, that's during a debate too, huh? Yeah. Man, it's going to be a tough game because it, a lot of the things that we kind of don't match up real well against, they do pretty well. Even I don't think they're a great team, but if you've got to get Odell Beckham against Demarius Randall, and they've got a pretty good receiving core that could tear apart our secondary a little bit. And they don't run anyways, so our strong front seven's kind of moved. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I don't know. Their front seven has been pretty good too, so I worry about the pressure they put on Rodgers. I, I think, honestly, if, I think if I were picking with my head, I might sway to New York. I like that it's in Lambeau, though. I, I don't know. I'm still feeling pretty good about this Packer team now at 2-1. and one. I, I'm going to pick the Packers, but I think in a very close one. Yeah, and we haven't beaten the Giants since 2010 when you and I were in attendance. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. We beat them in 2011 as well. Um, yeah, all of that analysis that you had I think is spot on. Um, I, I guess it's hard to tell now because Shields probably won't play, but I'm not sure about Morgan Burnett or Clay Matthews. And I think if the latter two can play, um, I hope they can hold up enough to at least – Eli still makes a lot of mistakes if you can force him into kind of dumping the ball out. and, um, ugh. Yeah, and maybe Rodgers plays a little better because they don't have that pass rush like they used to um, quite as much. I don't know. Maybe they do statistically, but it doesn't seem like it was like it has been in 11 and 12 when we were getting pounded by these guys. Um, ugh. I'll I'll pick the Packers just because they're at home and they got a week off and hopefully they can get a little bit healthier. But yeah, I'm with you that uh, the Giants always have been a matchup problem and a lot of the stuff that posed a threat in 2011 and 12 is still a threat Sunday. Yeah. 
All right. Well, and I do think it'll fare much better against the debate than Saints Falcons did because it's Sunday oh, night. Oh yes, right. Right. Second goal. I agree too. I mean, nobody wants to watch Saints Falcons. I. This is at least a couple of you know good markets and fan bases and stuff, and it's a good two and one versus two and one game where I think last week everybody thought that was kind of two garbage teams. Anyways, Falcons yeah. look pretty good now, but I don't think people really knew that. So they should do all right. I think, and also. I think watching one debate might be enough for a lot of people. Too. I would hope so. If you're going to watch the second debate, please don't get fixated on things like sniffles and zingers and just listen to what they have to say. That's all I'm going to ask because <laughs> this is getting driving me nuts. When when I saw that it got like a Super Bowl-esque rating, I'm like, gosh, our our voting system is finished now because now there's just yeah. more incentive to turn it into a spectacle from here on out. But yeah, um, oh, real quick before we break. Are the Giants going to be three and one when they play the Packers? Depending on what happens tonight. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot they were playing right now. Um, yeah, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I have such a hard time with this Vikings team. I, I guess I'll. I I think I picked Minnesota um, in this game. I guess I'll stick with it. I just I don't know what it is about them. I I just still. The defense is really good, obviously, but I still, for some reason, have a hard time buying them. Yeah. And that offense just doesn't seem like it should be any good at all. But uh, I, they win games. I, it's one of those teams that's hard to explain. They're they're almost like the Badgers in a lot of ways, too. It's, it's hard to explain how they're doing it, but they're just going to end up beating everybody. Yeah, I'll be impressed if they can win tonight just because it's a different matchup. And Eli Manning seems unrattleable in the pocket. Um, he might throw 100 interceptions, but he's definitely not going to shy away no matter how much pressure you throw at him. And that Carolina win doesn't look quite as impressive after they got bullied by the um, Falcons yesterday. So Yeah, that's true. I'll still pick Minnesota, and I think that now that Tom Jackson's gone, ESPN should uh, bring up a segment called, eh, yeah, uh, nah. <laughs> that should be their new segment. But Okay, so uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, oh, shoot, we had a few comments on Facebook. We'll get to those next time around. Um, Caleb had a, a post about the referees and asking if the NFL, they missed a horrible fumble for the Browns and if they'll ever admit they're wrong. I don't think they will. Um, I think they should, but I think on the flip side, if I think they need to take it a little bit more easy on their own officials. It does nothing, going back to the bad ratings, it can do nothing for... I don't understand why the league comes out every week and bashes their own officials. They're hurting the own legitimacy of their product. If anything, they should just stand by their officials and say that whatever's called in the field is what's final instead of coming out in the public and roasting these guys every time they make a mistake. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It, it just, yeah, it makes you feel like no matter what, you've got a gripe against them. If even their own league is just, you know, not giving them any credit. <laughs> yeah, I feel sorry for them at this point. But uh, thanks, everybody, for um, um, talking on the uh, the page. And uh, if you have any topics you'd like us to talk in the future, please share them. Green and Gold Forever podcast on Facebook, at Green Gold Forever on Twitter, or you can leave a comment beneath this story. And subscribe to the show on the iTunes app and follow us on the Podbean app. So for Matt in Altoona, I am Eric in Appleton. And uh, hopefully we'll be, get to talk to you again after a big Packers win following the bye week. Take care, everyone.